Welcome to Tabletop Journal's Seat Yourself podcast series on the hospitality tabletop industry. Now, here's your host, Dave Turner. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Seat Yourself. Seat Yourself is our weekly podcast that focuses on all aspects of the food service and hospitality industry. I'm Dave Turner. I'm your host here at Seat Yourself. In this episode, it's published on the week of November 23rd, 2020. And yes, folks, it's finally here. Today's episode is episode number 100. And before we tell you about this week's guest and how excited we are to have him on board with this milestone episode, I have something I want to tell you, our listeners. I first and foremost want to let you know how deeply grateful I am for all your support and all your listenership. Many of you have commented and sent notes from literally all corners of the world, and I'm humbled by all your positive support and your continued listenership. And I'm also incredibly grateful for the support that the Edward Donnan Company has given us right from the very beginning. This coming year, Chicago's Edward Donnan Company will celebrate 100 years of being at the forefront of distribution to the food service and hospitality trade here in America. And this year, it's not been an easy one for any of us in the hospitality industry, not only here in America, but all around the world. And it's been especially tough for the supply chain community that it provides all the great products, all the great expertise, and all they do to support the R operators, both big and small, and especially during these toughest of times. And Edward Don and Company, they've been doing it right and leading the way for what soon will be 100 years. And on this 100th episode of Seat Yourself, I especially want to acknowledge their support and tell you how proud I am to stand with the Edward Don and Company and all they bring to our industry. And now, Let's get on with this week's episode number 100 of Seat Yourself. Our guest this week is London's legendary restaurateur, Paolo Tasso. An amazing individual, Paolo has worked with top chefs and organizations like Daniel Ballou and Mandarin Oriental Hotels before going out and starting his own restaurant, Margot, in London a little over four years ago. In my opinion, Paolo has helped redefine the word hospitality and especially service within hospitality through his passion, through his drive, and the sheer strength, along with the warmth, of his personality. We've talked extensively about the guest dining experience here since we launched Seat Yourself, how important it is to all of us, and what it means to our overall culture. So to me, Paolo de Tarso, he defines great hospitality. And that's why I could not be more pleased to have him join us on this 100th episode of our podcast. So with all of that, let's bring him in here, Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome Paolo de Tarso to our Seat Yourself podcast. Everybody, I want to give a big Seat Yourself welcome to Paolo de Tarso, the man, the myth, the legend, right straight from London. Paolo, how are you this morning? Thanks for joining us here on Seat Yourself. Oh my God, uh, what, a, what an introduction. Uh, very humble to be here. Thanks for thinking of me. Um, it's uh, afternoon here at one o'clock, a little over one o'clock, and I'm just happy to uh, to be here and to be alive. Hey, you know, I just surprised you in telling you it's our 100th episode, and I want to I want all our listeners to know I've been looking f- so forward to the 100th episode of Seat Yourself, and I couldn't be happier to have you join us to celebrate that and and uh, to hear the conversation that you and I are going to have. Oh, very happy to be part of it. So, okay, let's get to it because people don't want to hear about me. 
how does somebody being born in Brazil, working in various places, the United States, et cetera, how do you go from Brazil all the way to one of the finest and best known restaurants in a city, which is known for restaurants like London? That's a long journey. It is. It is. a Well, it's a long journey. We don't have all day. So let me, I moved to New York as a teenager. And uh, it's, a, it's a story that I, I never really tell people. It's funny. I, I talked about it in the interview that I did for Chef's Magazine. But I, I went to New York as a, teenager, as a teenager. And a friend of mine was opening a, a little coffee house, a cafe in Brooklyn, something just like, you know, Starbucks. Um, and I helped them out doing this process. And I, I fell in love with, with the creative part of, of coming up with idea, looking for location, creating the space, uh, the logistics, and, and what the offering was, was going to be. And then finally, uh, the, the best part for me, meeting the clients and getting bad feedback and, and good positive feedback. And from there, I went on to uh, become uh, that business. Didn't, uh, it didn't go through. It, it, we were open for 18 months. I went to become a dish, dishwasher in Soho in a Japanese place to um, cutting my legs after several months and they fire me. And then I went on to become a bus boy and work in, and I just did the entire ranking. I, I worked from the, the bottom all the way to I to every level, to you know all the positions, to finally coming to London. And, and, and then another position was a maitre d'. And then I, I, I fell in love with what, what I did. I fell in love with service. And I fell in love with, with the art of service. I fell in love with what it is, what, what it means to be in the hospitality industry and serving people. And I... I just educating myself and uh, work with, with some of the best talents in, in my in my profession and developing my my recipe, which was the art of service. Well, it's it's interesting to me always how many people that are in our business that have high level jobs like yourself and you know very well known and very you know successful all started out with very humble positions in our industry. And yeah. they've gone, they've grown up throughout the industry. It's it's just they wouldn't even let me do the dishes. At the they made me do pots and pans. That way you can't break anything, and that was great. And I, that was my start. And I think it's something that happens in America. Uh, you know that is beautiful. You you started the mail room. And, yeah. and you and you and you work yourself up, and then you really you 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 fall in love, and then you you really you, you need to put all your efforts and, and work hard at it, and uh, and that's I think beauty magic comes from it. Yeah, yeah. But you you certainly have fallen in love and been hugely successful, and you work with a group, the Dynex Group, and people won't recognize that so much, but there's a very famous person who heads up the Dynex Group, and you also worked with Mandarin Oriental Hotels. Those are two organizations that are really known for high quality, high service. What was that like to work in those kinds of very successful and very well-known organizations? That, that's a really good question because I'm going to elaborate on this a little bit, which is beautiful. So Dynax Group is Daniel Boulud's group, um, you know, and led by a amazing uh, professional, Michael Lawrence, who is director of operations, and Daniel Boulud himself. Um, and then you have um, Mandarin Oriental, who had, you know, the, David Nichols, who had the, the culinary, came up with the idea to bring bring Heston Blumenthal and Daniel Boulud at Bar Boulud under underneath Mandarin Oriental. And, and creating this magic, which he brought, David Nichols brought me on board because he understood that you let hoteliers do hotels and you let restaurateurs do restaurants. And I came in and I came in to run that operation 
and be the face of the operation and we're having an incredible chef as Daniel Boulud at the helm and then what do we have to do? We just need to create the, the, the incredible service, hospitality. And, and so what was beautiful about that, it was, for me it was actually difficult because I, I was at the time, I was very difficult to work with, which I, David Nichols, because we're restaurateurs and hotels are very different. But Mandarin Oriental delivered the, 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 the hotel. And, and, I mean, they are unbelievable what they do. But what David Nichols, they allowed me to be who, who I was and they allowed me to work with Danielle. And, one, and, and, and this is the thing. It's, you need to find, you know, a, a chef is an artist. And he makes the incredible food. But the minute that he hands over that food in the past to you, you are the artist. Then it becomes Cirque du Soleil. You need to, you, because you encounter the, prob, the problems, you encounter the positive things, you encounter everything. So that, it, it was beautiful because, you know, six years that I worked close with Daniel Boulud, I mean, he's a legend. He's my father, my best friend, my everything. And David Nichols, allowing us to do that, I, it, was, it was a secret sauce. And we were able to, to deliver on that, and and that be, that restaurant Barbalu, I mean, we won thirty nine awards with that. It became uh, worldwide known for a great combination. Yeah, it's a, it's 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 amazing when you have those magical points in time, and even in. I've dealt mostly with, <clears throat> on the supplier side to the hospitality business in my career. And I, and you see magical moments in all kinds of people's careers. They happen to be, it's right when the chemistry is there, the right people come together, and it is truly magical. And the, and the only problem I have with that is that most of the time, including myself, when I've had a few of those, those magical moments, it's hard almost to recognize the magic while it's happening. You oftentimes need need the perspective of having it maybe a little bit in the rearview mirror, but so few of us understand that magic when it's happening, actually happening or all around us. And it's great to hear you describe it in that way that you knew that and you won all the awards. And it's great to have that that recognition of that magic. No, but it's a, it's a, it's a good point. And it took some times. You're right. Even though we were doing the, all that and what we created, as Daniel Blood was, you know, a, a super chef. Uh, a lot of people in Europe didn't know him, and especially in the UK. Heston, you know, fat duck, best chef in the world. The expectation was so much on him. But then what we delivered was pure hospitality and magic that now I look back and I, I love that you said that because the people that work with us, the team that we had, now, you know, they're general managers, they're director of operations. They started from nothing. They start from commies and dishwashers. And, and you see this group of team, but yeah. you're right. It is true. We don't appreciate it at the time. We saw it happening. You know, we, we I remember getting a text from Alex Atala and, you know, the world's 50 best. We were number 89. And I'm like, wow, we just opened this restaurant. And I, I, we couldn't believe what was happening. But it, you're right. It was fear magic. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, things are going fast and furious then, and you and you yeah. and you're just keeping the magic rolling. That's all, exactly. and, I, and I got that. But you worked at a couple other places too, uh, Scotts and the Woolsey beforehand. Anything there that you took that really benefited you? What were the lessons you took with you to Barbaloo? Great, great question, Dave. Oh my God, this is a, a beautiful question that sometimes doesn't get asked. Listen, we. I'll, I'll be really honest. With, with, I'll start with the Woolsey, uh, Corbin and King, Chris Corbin, Jeremy King. Jeremy King has been a great mentor in my life. And I'll, I'm going to describe this. In America, we hire people on personality. We hire people on a personality, and we can train and teach and give them all the tools that they need in order to be successful at their job. And in Europe, is a little 
different. The, the technical ability that they have here in Europe when it comes to hospitality, it's it's amazing. But what sometimes is, it's amazing, but it's robotic. You know, usually you, I describe people going to New York, you go to a bar in New York, you know, it, the, the bartender is great, he's good looking, he's sharp, he can talk to you about anything else. Sometimes you come in in, in, in that circumstances in New York, uh, in, in Europe, and, and it's very robotic. They can't really communicate, but they're good at their job. So what I found at the Woosley, it was, it was almost... I I always had a lot of personality. I was a waiter in Beverly Hills doing thousand covers a day, and I just my magic was to make it happen. I used to play little games with my clients. I, I will I will guess what their tie was from, or I you know I, I I got to know them. My clients became my best friends. They became my doctor, my dentist. I knew that every smile, every corner that I, I pay attention to it, it was an extra dollar that came to me because that's how it was. So working Beverly Hills taught me everything to work with difficult people and all that. What I learned here in, in, in with Corbin and King was that if you if you have the character, if you have the values, and you you add this beautiful technique, what service and hospitality is, you can even outshine everybody else. And then when I went on to Scots, I was able to put all those things in practice in a certain way because there were some major people working there at the time also with me. But when I went to Barbalu, it was an open door. I was able to express Everything that I learned from from being a dishwasher in New York at the age of 15 to all the way to that was my moment in time that I was going to be able to express who truly who I was. I learned the, the technique and also, you know, how important it is for you to have the knowledge of the client. Uh, and knowing what they are, what they do. And then uh, because I was a maitre d', the importance of having that information, because now we have all the tools in the world to put in practice. Yeah. Sure, sure. I want to I want to move over to your latest adventure, Margot. Uh, I, I everybody knows of you as a service standard setter. Everybody in the world knows that Paolo brings the top top quality of service to front of the house and that and that culture when you dine out. But the Guardian did a review earlier this year, and there was a writer by the name of Jay Rayner. Uh, I don't know Jay Rayner, but but he had an interesting comment, and he, his comment about the feeling of dining in your restaurant was that you were not just looked after, but you were held. Now that's pretty powerful stuff. How do you get to that approach of, well, you know, where does that come from? That not just looking after people, but holding them as if holding them in your hands. And, and the final part of the question is why is serving people well, so critical to Paulo? Wow. Um, I love the question. Once again, you know, I was brought up in an environment where my mom made sure that eating and being together at a table was really important. And this is the time that we put all our stresses and our worries and, and everything away. And it was all about focusing on the human being that is sitting across from you and next to you in both levels. So, you know, service for me, there's a major connection there. From the moment you call, now there's apps and you no longer talk to someone on the phone as much as you used to. But it's really important for me. I'm not going to teach you just through how to carry a plate, carry a tray, or or how to put your cutleries down, or how to behave. It's not just the you know. The, I have a starter pack with you know hundreds of pages to teach you that. For me, is we have a responsibility 
to to not educate our staff, but to be a role model in their lives. And when it comes to service, someone is walking through your doors. There's a little story that I tell my staff. Now, individual is walking through your doors and you don't know exactly what that person is going through. So one of the things that I teach my staff is to kill a mockingbird. You need to read this book because we don't judge a human being until you walk in their shoes because you don't know what's happening to them. Now, there's people in our restaurant that dine five times a week. There's people that dine once a week. There's people that dine once a month. And then those are the people that come in Christmas that save all their money to come and have that special memory. My job is to provide a service that is thoughtful, that is genuine, that is beautiful, that we look at each other and look at you and we respect who you are, whether you're wearing shorts, flip-flops, a 5,000-pound suit, or your lady, a a lord, a queen, or president, or just a, a, a person. So we have a tendency to put titles and material things in this in this plane. When we go to the next level, none of that matters because you don't take that anything with you from here. Your titles, your trophies are that. So service is something that is about a passion. It's about breaking bread. It's a moment in time that for me in our industry is about reaching excellence. So it's about someone comes to a restaurant, they're taking their time to to come and and, and, and and spend that two and a half hours with you. And for me, the minute they call, the minute they made a booking, they want, you know, it's you walk through the door. I want to take all your stresses away. I started with your coat and I take that away. And then if you're a single diner, a newspaper is offer because you're waiting for your guest. And then everything that happens from that moment, you know, the knowledge from the staff to know about the ingredients, the product, the way we sit you down, the way we push the table. I want you to feel so special for the two and a half hours or three hours there with me that everything unfolds and everything is magic. And and, and in every industry we serve, whether you're a doctor, a dentist, a judge, and but you know, hospitality is 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 a moment in time that you need to make people feel great and special. And for me, service, you know, they, even the way we carry the bottle, we carry the bottle like like this yeah. holding a baby of course you know because it's it's important the way you you present it do everything you do the way you communicate the way you speak you know i think um some people are celebrating uh, a wedding some people are celebrating they, they chose you to celebrate this memory so for me i'm gonna create a memory that you're gonna remember for the rest of your life yeah i think the the most special moments in all our lives generally involve great food great beverage with people you love and care with. That's it. Yeah, you care for. I mean, a family and friends. It's it's the breaking of bread, and just as you described it, much better than I could. But I've always felt too that the people that that excel at serving others, they're very very special. What are some of the motivations you think people need to have to provide that memorable experience and be successful at serving others? I mean, you just described it very accurately and very passionately, and I love that. But what are some of the motivations an individual has to have if they're going to be able to do do it at a level like you have done and, and shown others to do? I think that um, what happens in hospitality is is there's two things. Whether you just completely fall in love with because you, you went to work at summertime or you did a job because you, you need quick cash and, and, you, and you came into this environment. I think empathy is the most important thing that you need to have as a human being and, and in the restaurant industry. 
Second is that you've got to remember that a lot of people fall, you know, it's a transition. People like me, I went to the restaurant. I, I started from the bottom. I, I was in transition and I, I, I need to get money. I, I fell in love with the industry. I want to start the bottom because I wanted to learn every tool. Some people do because they go to university and they want a, a part-time job. So what happens a lot of, with the restaurant industry, people have done pretty much everything and they fell in retail. They hated retail and restaurant is the last calling. And then they kind of just do it because they do it because they just want a period in time. So for me, is empathy is the, the most important thing. Second, you need to fall in love with what you do. You you need to follow your heart. And if you're gonna do something, as my mom used to tell me, if you're gonna pick up rubbish, be the best rubbish person there is. If you're going to work in the industry, the industry gives you a lot of tools. So if you're a dishwasher, be the best there you can be, but always be looking out for, if I wanted to improve, what can I do? So what's the next job that I can make a little bit more money and I can maybe learn English or, or so is a bus boy, a commie. And if I'm a commie, when I was a commie, I understood that I was I work with four or five head waiters that love me because I was a provider for them and I provide the best I could. So I made more money. When I became a head waiter and I couldn't become a head waiter at night because all the big boys work at night, but I, I, I started breakfast in the morning. I was the best breakfast. And finally, when I got a chance to work one night, I became the best waiter at night. So it's the drive. Drive to, if you're going to be a football player, people sit, talk about football players making 222 million pounds a year like Neymar, but he worked really hard to get there. Messi has worked hard to get there. Every position, you work hard, so you educate yourself. So use this moment in time to, you know what, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to be the best of this. And then I, I want to I wanna educate myself and how can I get to next level. So empathy, drive, hard work towards excellence. You need to love what you do. Because, you know, the, the reason I love the restaurant industry is because not every day is the same. It's not an office that you go every day and you clock in and clock out. Every day is different. So, so I love that energy. But you know what? You you can't just sit there still. Life is is you have this moment in time in life and, and work hard in whatever you do and try to become the best you can. Yeah, I, I love it. And and I not only do I love what you're saying about empathy and about follow your heart and all that, but but I love the passion in which you say it because it, I think that when you're doing the things that you just described, those those several steps that 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 can give you an opportunity to be doesn't guarantee success, but gives you an opportunity to be successful. Underneath all all of that is is the passion, the passion for the, the just for life in general, and I, and I love the way you describe that. I want to also talk a little bit about Margot for a minute, and I want to talk about it in the sense of you were highly successful with when you were with uh, Dynex and in, in uh, Mandarin Oriental. Not so much what caused you to leave, but what were the feelings as you were ready to leave Barbaloo and and to go out and to uh, and to start on your own as an entrepreneur? Because entrepreneurship is quite a bit different than working for others. Yes, um, matter of fact, it's very different. So, right. so tell me about the feelings that you had about that. Working with Danielle Boulud was a special, incredible six years of my life. Not only I um, I study also with Mentor and Oriental, they made me take courses and, and programs that I did, but they, they really let me be who I was and open. I was the face of the restaurant and it was incredible years. And six years, it was amazing. And I'm, I always wanted to open my own restaurants because you you never really feel that everything, you know, it's, it's you, you did it from the, the toilet paper 
to, to the lighting, to the sound, to the furniture design, to the kitchen, to all that. So opening your place is a dream that I've had. And I, I've been telling Heidi, my wife of 18 years for, for since, you know, I, was, I had a, a vision in my head since I was 16 years old, what my restaurant would be like. So I always wanted to have that experience of almost making your own film and, and creating everything from point A to point Z and doing everything. So the feelings, I, I, I really wanted to do something else. I was getting a lot of offers at the time, New York, Hong Kong, all over the place. My wife, you know, is the boss. She told me, look, we're not moving. We've got three kids. We're not going anywhere. Whatever, if you have to do, open your own place because we're not going anywhere. So that's how it started. Leaving um, Bar Blue, it was the h- hardest thing I've ever done. Daniel Blue was in town for three to four days. I followed him around for one day. He wouldn't. I think he knew he was avoiding me. I finally went to his hotel room. It was the most beautiful moment in my life where I we hugged each other. I told him we cried for 45 minutes. I'm probably exaggerating. It was probably 10, but it felt like uh, when I was boxing, it felt like forever. He looked at me and he put both hands in my face and he said, if there's anybody that is going to be successful doing this, it's going to be you. And I remember him taking me to an Italian restaurant. So the moments, I think you, you get to a point that you're always kind of in a scene, behind the scene, but it's not really your baby until you really do what is yours and you go through to the the, the financial part of, of of building a concept the name the, the cuisine uh looking for investors finding investors open a place and putting everything that you ever because i think i think what happens in life and i don't know the word for it i i've learned a few things in my in my time but one is that my mom used to tell me you think you're in control you're not you have as much power, but there's, you know, there's a man above that is in control and everything. And I think the stars were there for me when I, I opened Barbalu, but I, I, I really created this thing that I really want to open Margot. You know, the dog is, is a story of my mother-in-law. Margot is my mother-in-law, who's a beautiful woman who, who, who's taught me a lot of things. So her partnership with her husband. So there's a lot of things that, that I, I wanted to put together. Why, why is this? And why? we created this i always wanted to do italian because my italian heritage and i love italian food i remember as a boy i was not allowed in the kitchen because men were not allowed in the kitchen and i was always trying to pick things to, for me to eat so is is my my mother my grandmother my mother-in-law my wife he created this i wanted to create something that was mine that i could truly say you know what i created this that was the feeling that I wanted to do that. And when I, I put that in my head, it was it was very hard. But I got the blessing from Daniel Boulud and the blessing from Andrew and Oriental. And I went on to do Margot and and, and put my stamp. What, what You know, I, I always believe in longevity. Dave, I'm sorry I'm talking too much. but No, no, no. This is I'm, I'm loving it. And I'm sure our listeners are as well. I, w- I wanted to make my mark because and create something that's going to be there and, and it's going to outlive me. Well, you certainly have done all of that. You had four exciting and four successful, incredibly successful years. Uh, we're going to take a break in a minute, but before we do, I want to know uh, what are a couple of lessons that you learned from uh, your your successful times at Margot? Um, wow, I, I learned a lot. I, and, and wow, I just go back to what um, I designed the kitchen with the designers. I designed the entire Margot, the, the, the entire restaurant with my my, my friends now. Tom Stroder and Steven Saunders from, from Fable Studio, literally creating everything from the fig scent that goes in a woman's bathroom 
to the designing the layout of the restaurant. So those things I, I, I cherish the, the most, the process of uh, two floors where, you know, all the logistics, because, you know, I have a lot of experience and I've been doing restaurants for so many years, but with Margot, I was attached with little things that I, I the creation part from, from every little thing. And I think the designing the restaurant and, the, the creating the, the kitchen and the restaurant and the logistics and all that. I think that was, those are some of the special moments I take with you. You know, it's creating a baby right from the ground up. And it's just, we both have a, have something in common. We've both been entrepreneurs. We both have gone off and left successful things and, and, and taking it on new adventures. And I suspect that we're going to talk about new adventures later on, but there's nothing quite like entrepreneurship there. That is the adventure of a lifetime. And once you have that, it, it's, difficult to come back from that those are type of adventures you definitely it changes us i know that personally so yeah. we're going to take a break right now we're with paulo Dotasso, and this is episode number 100 of seat yourself when we come back paulo i want to talk about great service what it is what it's going to be and where we go from here more with paulo Dotasso in just a moment this episode of seat yourself is sponsored in part by the edward don and company everything but the food for nearly a hundred years and if you have not yet signed up for Tabletop Journal's bi-monthly newsletter, now would be a great time to do so. Go to tabletopjournalnewsletter.com. It's a quick and easy sign up and a great way to stay on top of all the important going-ons in the world of hospitality tabletop. That's tabletopjournalnewsletter.com. Now, back to our podcast. Hey, everybody. We're back here with Paulo Dottasso. We're at episode number 100 of Seat Yourself. Couldn't be happier to be here with Paulo. And Paulo, before we took a break, I mentioned we were going to talk about service in the second segment. What's great service today? And is it different than it used to be in past times? You know, service is attention to every little detail. It's anticipating the client's needs. It's taking all the stresses away. It's connecting the dots. I think that, you know, you, you go to great restaurants, you know, and, and you feel it. It's comfortable. It feels right. Everything is perfect. So there's a lot of places now, you know, it's um, and, and it starts with the, the, the confidence of the staff and the knowledge of the staff. I think that a lot of places do it right, you know, and, and, and they do it beautifully. Like Michelle Rue at Le Rocher in London and Danielle Boulud completely understand what service is all about. And I think there's a lot of great restaurants doing incredible, great service, good food. And, and, and there's a lot of places that still don't get it right. But, you know, it, it's something that we're, we're discussing earlier. You know, it's about everything for me is it, 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 it work with a supplier where I get my meat is important. How does the cow, how does the cattle live? Are they packing four thousands? No, they're packing in, in hundreds. Do they, do they live well? Do they eat properly? Do they, are they far apart from each other? When there are butcher and transporter, are they done safely and, and done correctly? We, we worry about all those things. We worry about every aspect of what it is. And, and great restaurants will, will have that. And that's why they, it, that, everything that they put on the menu, the value, the service, 
the feel to it. So service, you know, it's it's really important from from the minute you walk out. And how how many restaurants sometimes they, they forget they don't they, they do everything perfect until the moment that the dessert comes and then the tea is in tea bags or or the coffee is not good enough because they think it's done now. So from the beginning, the, the welcome that you receive, either you on a phone call, good afternoon, how are you? You know, even training staff. You know, if if you get a, I train my staff, if you get a phone call at five thirty, a booking for four here in Covent Garden, the first question that you're going to ask, madam, are you going to the theater this evening? And they go, how did you know? Oh, because you're making a booking at 5.30. So um, where are you going tonight? I'm going to the Lyceum. Lyceum, oh, you're going to see the Lion King. It starts at 7.15. So you've got plenty of time, and the walk is 10 minutes. And if you're not quite sure where it is, the, the maitre d' in the front will direct you exactly how to get there. So service is, is something that you're passionate about. And, and any question for me is, you know, is nothing worse when someone asks you a question you don't know. I don't like the, the I don't know that is not allowed where, where we are. You should know. You should make a point if you're a concierge that you know what restaurants are, what they, you know, you, you should know. So whatever position, if you work in retail and someone asks you a question, where, oh, can you tell me where the Ralph Lauren is? Even though it's a competitor, you should know where it is. And you know who Ralph Lauren is. You should know who Prada is. So service is really important thing. I, I think that a lot of places do it right. A lot of places don't put, you know, hospitality for me should be taught in university. It's something that it should be, everybody should be a four-year degree that, you know, hospitality should be in every single business, not only if you're selling cars or you're selling whatever it is. So I think that service, there's a lot of places to do it well, like Denny Meyer and Daniel Baludes and the Mandarins and, and, and the Michelle Ruse and the Corbin and Kings, but um, a lot of places don't get it right. Yeah, I, I, when when I uh, talk about the customer service uh, aspect of almost any business, I'd rather talk about a more holistic view about the customer journey. The customer journey begins as soon as they find out about your restaurant, your brand, or whatever, and it continues all the way through. and And ideally, to, to the point where you satisfied the needs of that that guest or that customer, so that they become a customer for life, number one, and also that they become an advocate for your brand or your restaurant, and they tell other people because that's when you know that you've hit a good stride when i'm saying okay i can't remember the name of paulo's restaurant but you have to go to it i want to recommend it it's the the place you need to go so i'm telling my neighbors and and we all have brands that we fall in love with in our life whether it be a a clothing brand or a jewelry brand or a spirits brand or a restaurant brand and and i and i really uh try to convey to to everybody who will hear it the idea of a longer customer Customer journey, the five steps on the customer journey. It's just amazing. It is everything. It, it, you know, it, it's something that I've managed to in every restaurant that I've worked. It's eighty-two percent of our clientele are regulars. They're there all the time, and uh, you know, tourists come and go, and you look after everybody well. If you do that, if you anticipate your client needs and you know what their preferences are, and you really look after them, they they come to you because they love it. And all of a sudden, you you meet. The, I all my clients are know the four generations, and it's beautiful because they want to introduce to their kids, and then I look after their kids. Paulo, then you got my grandchild. Let's go. You know, it, it's a beautiful thing, and it's the biggest PR in the world. I don't care. You can be the best PR in the world, and and, and you know what? Your clients are promoting you and talking about you, and you know what? It's connecting the dots and his relationship that you know Denny Meyer's been talking about it for years and the in the masters and, and they understand that it, it comes back and you know another thing I do a lot that people don't and, and I, I promote other restaurants you know you promote other people you know for me if, if Michael Phelps yeah, I'm, if I'm swimming next to him 
I'm going to beat them at one point. I'm going to figure it out what I have to do to grow, to, to you know, how am I going to do it? And, and for me, it's, it's competition. It's beautiful. And, it, and it's okay. Yeah, it's it's uh, you have to recognize uh, quality, and uh, when there's quality of service, quality of uh, treating customers, etc. I loved also that you say you take away all the stresses, and and that because you worry about the details, and I think that's interesting too. Customers want to, want somebody to take care of them, be held by them. To uh, to quote Jay Rainey, uh, the writer talked about his experience at your restaurant. And and two, I, I want to go back. You know, attention to detail is very important. How often you see a staff member, you see something on the floor that they don't see, it, or a light bulb. You know, how often I walk around and I check the restaurant before opening. You know, who noticed that this light bulb has been out all day? You know, attention, little details that were soap in the bathroom. That how often people, you know, our bathrooms are checked every twenty five minutes because you know what, it's it's something you go to someone's house. If the bathroom's clean, I don't know anybody anything else is clean. It's little things that we learn, values yeah. that we learn. And one thing that I want to go back to it. Uh, you asked me about Marco and, and things that I lessons that I can take. One of the things that I love was is deciding of all my suppliers. And people that I work with, because you know what, you want to elevate your suppliers. You want to work with amazing people that will be working with you for many years. We've been talking about customer service here, and uh, and I continue to ask you about that because you are in many ways a gold standard. You personally are in our industry, and you were once quoted as saying, uh, when talking about customer service, if you approach it correctly, it can be an art form. First of all, what did you mean by that? Can you really teach somebody that service is a is an art form? Can you really teach that? You know, it, it all depends. A lot of depends on the student. I, sometimes I, I will take my staff members to the train here, the tube, which you call the tube, and uh, and you ask them what they see. And sometimes you see ninety two percent of the world doing something that they don't love. They only do it because they need to pay the bills. So. If you're going into um, any any profession, go in because it's something that you love. Now, the art form of the industry, you know, the way you present yourself, when you when you see a good restaurant doing 400, 500 covers, it's almost like watching a symphony. I, I remember being in Beverly Hills and we never wrote down orders in our pads um, until a table of eight or more because we were training our brain to do that. You know, or tell a special. I see people with a special reading off the thing, how hard it is to memorize three dishes. You know, that comes from discipline. If you're an actor and you're going on Broadway or going on West End here, you need to memorize your lines. You need to know that you're going to go to that stage. Now, when you're Robert De Niro and you have a play, you can, whether you got the flu or not got the flu, you got to show up. You gotta de- deliver. You gotta perform, and that's what makes the Kobe Bryant's, the Michael Jordans, the Pele's, the Messi's of the world do what they do. They do it because it's a discipline. Now, you you can teach because I, well, I don't teach. I can I'll teach about the service, but for me, it's teaching the values, the, the education, the discipline to work hard as, as we do. Even phraseology. How often you go to a restaurant and I see people? Hello. I don't want to be greeted that way. Good evening, sir. How are you? Phraseology. I teach phraseology. How you speak, how you say, bye. It's not a bye. It's have a great evening. Have a good day. So it's a professional level and the way we stand. I think, you know, you can teach a lot of things, but the, the students, 
needs to really take that to themselves and they really need to want it and to perform. You know, you can be a, a good, good television actor, not necessarily you're going to be a good theater actor or movie actor. So I think it's, it's self-discipline and you got to educate yourself. You know, it's, you know, the knowledge of, of, of a barista making coffee, you know, the coffee would taste different in July when it's summer to when is when it's December because the pressure in the machine and, and the weather outside. Learn about everything there is. You know, you should know, not only know your menu, your knowledge, your wine, but, you know, educate yourself on everything else, you know, about social problems or or government or everything. So I think, yes, it's something that you can teach, but the, the student really needs to be part of the journey. Yeah, they need to show up with a, the desire and the discipline and the values, just like you mentioned. And and then you can add some of the technical pieces. And as you said, I think earlier, you have a big manual. You can teach all the, the okay, you're supposed to do this, 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 and this. This is our standard or whatever. But you can't, it's hard to teach that issue of discipline or values if they don't already bring that with them. Exactly. So I... I know you're a big fan. I am as well of Danny Meyer, New York restaurateur, great restaurateur, matter of fact. And I love his approach to the hospitality and the restaurant business. And, and, and I use a quote from Danny Meyer in his book, Setting the Table. And in um, Danny Meyer describes the restaurant business, and, and it's just a, I'll pull just part of the quote, because he, he describes it in a way that we were talking about earlier, but much better than I ever could say it. Because he, he says, in, in his is quote, in the end, what's most meaningful is creating positive, uplifting outcomes for human experiences and human relationships. And I think that's very uh, interesting because in our over-accelerated life that we live in, whether you're a supplier, whether you're a restaurateur, an operator, a hotelier, whatever, we get consumed with the mechanics of our business, whether it's selling food, selling hotel rooms, selling uh, tabletop products to those, those types of customers, whatever it is. And to have somebody take a step back and say it's about the human experiences and about human relationships, and I think that's really powerful phraseology use your term. Now, Paulo, the question I have for you, though, tell me a little bit about what the, the this industry called hospitality, what does that mean to you? I, you know, a lot of my quotes will come from, from Denny. Um, I, I, is a mentor and a friend. I love what you said. First of all, people don't know the difference between service and hospitality. Service is how you deliver a product from point A to point B. Hospitality is how you make the recipient of that product feel. So everything in life, everything you do in life, and we are watching this here happening in the last eight months since the pandemic happened, how we are so connected. And I can go back on what Martin Luther King said. When there's all these people in India dying of hunger, and we have a surplus in America that can solve that problem. So, you know, when people are dying of hunger, which kids should not be able, it shouldn't be happening where we are in time. Look what's happening all over the world. So connecting, you know, we, so, so until all those people that are starving from hunger are fed, we human beings will not be 100% how we're meant to be. So for me, is hospitality is a powerful tool because breaking bread is a powerful moment in time 
where people in bubbles are all going through different situations. Some people are celebrating, some people have difficulties, some people just passed away, some people. So we as humans judge people quickly too often. You know, we're judge of how much money you have and what you're meant to be and what you're not, where you should be a doctor, should be that. We all came here. We didn't come here just to get married and have kids. We come here for a bigger purpose. And hospitality is really, the, it's a connection that you have with the moment in time with people that is only me, perhaps that connection is only going to happen that time. I I usually say, you know, uh, changing the hospitality industry one table at a time. So hospitality is a powerful tool because it's a moment in time where we're breaking bread with another individual and our phones are down and hopefully we're looking at each other and we're only focused on that moment, that powerful moment. So as, as us come in a restaurant, for us, it's important for let people enjoy every single moment and be behind the scenes, unfolding all this this moment with them without them you know being disturbed and let them enjoy that moment. So we're the creator of the mood, we're creator of the memory, we're created in a powerful tool that we have in order to create magic and um, to make someone feel special. It's important because, you know what, they, that smile and that service, they, that person might need it for that moment. Yeah, I have, uh, I have a feeling inside me that many of the disagreements in the world could be resolved if we could just sit, get the individuals to sit down and have a meal together. That's it. I think hospitality is, I agree with you on the power of hospitality. A quote from uh, Luciano Pavarotti that says just that, you know, it's a powerful moment. And uh, we're like a rat race trying to get where. Just enjoy the the moment you have and, and be grateful. Something that you mentioned earlier on, you know. Gratitude. Gratitude is important. You know, if we're, we're all going through a hard time, there's people out there going through most difficult times in their lives. Paolo, at this point, I want to talk about new adventures. And I know you're an adventure guy. I've got a great picture in front of me right now. You can't see it, but I've got a great picture of you standing on Mount Kilimanjaro. And and Mount Kilimanjaro is only part of what I love about that picture. What I also love, and I want to get to this in a minute too, is that you send out a special message to your family, to Heidi to Luke, to Tristan, and to Liam. Oh. I think that's really an important thing, too. And I want to talk to you on both of those issues. What? Uh, first of all, let's talk about the Mount, uh, Kilimanjaro track. What was that all about? Because that tells me an awful lot that I want to, and makes me want to know more about Paolo. But it tells me that about the adventure that's inside you. I love that. I, I'll talk about Jordan, too, because I was just in Jordan last February. Kilimanjaro was um, uh, Ashley Farmer Watts partner up with uh, Farm Africa. The Farm Africa charity company was they were building uh, fish ponds in Africa for farmers to educate them to how to raise fish. And if you build properly a, a pond which costs about 500 pounds, you can raise about two to three thousand fish. So Kenya, for example, is sugarcane majority of workers. That's what they do. So by creating, helping the farmers, educating the farmers, not only educating but being present there, educating them and watch the process. You know, and you can you can start raising fish up to two thousand. So we went 
the point was to go to Africa, spend time in Kenya, visiting all the farmers that Ashley Palmer Watts already built fish ponds, and then go there uh, because Farm Africa was monitoring the process, not just giving money and expect them to do everything, but just watching the process. So now what's happening is that all these farmers now have fish ponds, two or three. They're raising two to 3,000 fish. Now they're selling this fish to the local markets. The local markets are African kids are eating white meat, which is great for you. So that was the process. So we went and met several different tribes and watched the process and we harvest ourselves and uh, we met with the families. We, we talked to them about their struggles and we talked about things that we can do to help. And that was the beautiful point also because they don't want any really you know, help. I remember sitting down with this this woman and I asked her, you know, if, if there's anything we could do for you, what would you like? She goes, listen, we're very lucky here that we have clean water, but my kids walk two hours to go to school. Our government doesn't support us whatsoever. If my, my son were to break his leg today, you know, it would take us, you know, a six hours drive. We don't have cars in order to get to a hospital. So you're talking about basic needs. And then so, so you're watching this process and you're meeting with these families and you're watching what's happening in these tribes. So we, we climbed Kilimanjaro in order to raise money for Fama Africa to continue the, the process. And that for me, um, it was a really eye opener to, to watch, you know, as what we have here. You know, I'm a father of three boys and a wife and, and how we live and our environment and what we eat every day. And you put that in, in, in perspective and you... There's nothing not to be grateful for. And this, I tell my staff, you, you get on the tube and you come here, whether you live an hour away, then you eat this incredible food, you get paid this amount of money and you do all that. And we're constantly complaining about that. I became fascinated with what what charities, what they do, the good charities do, and the work they represent. And I, I fell in love with that. And climbing Kilimanjaro not only was difficult, but it was me and... Um, a group of chefs that went together and it was just five of us. And uh, it, they called chefs with the altitude. I was the only chef uh, person that was not a chef, but I was from the house guy. So I think charity for me is really important. And not only you get to witness and see what people struggles that they're going through, you know, and then so I, I've done a lot of other things. I, I did boxing. Uh, I trained with the Haymaker, world champion, and, and we did boxing. I just got back from Jordan where we went to see all the Syrian refugees we're across Jordan, which what's happening, that's another thing that's happening that the world has completely ignored. We, we, we went to some refugee camps that had 80,000 people and, and kids that have been there for seven, eight years. Can you imagine going to a camp, you know, talking to this family? They went to a camp. They lost their husband. It's a wife now with three kids. The kids been in the camp since they're 10 years old. Now they're 18. They have not seen the world. I think what my wife is always teaching me is to you know, sometimes in life, you as a man, you get cocky and you get you you get too good. You know, and, and that's what taught me. Also, it, it's you know, you always wanted the accolades, accolades, but it's not the accolades are important. It's important what do you do with your voice? What do you do? You know, Danielle always told me that you have a powerful voice. How? What are you using your voice for? What are you doing? That is this just to make money? Just make yourself rich? What is it? You know. So I think I I want to use my voice to to get these causes and charity for me is important. So how can we educate these people? How can we help? How can, how can I, you be a service? So uh, Kilimanjaro, it, it, it started everything for me and uh, I will continue to do charities and I'll continue to do things. And if I can put myself out there to, 
to help out someone in need, I, uh, I will do that. I'm amazed at the adventures that you continue to go on. Let's leave it at that. And what, and I said there was another aspect of that picture that I really wanted to touch on, too. And I, I love the expression of gratitude that you have for your family in that picture. Yeah. It wasn't that I, Paolo, made it to the top of Mon, Mon, uh, Kilimanjaro. It's your expression that how much love you have for, for Heidi, for Luke, for Tristan and Liam, and their support of you as well. So I think that's really important, that gratitude for those closest to us. Because sometimes I think in this world, we're, we're a charity, uh, we're, we, we help others, we do. But sometimes we need to recognize and be grateful for those that are the closest to us as well. And that's sometimes, I wouldn't say taken for granted, but it's not noticed and recognized on a regular basis like it probably should be because you're a thoughtful person, uh, but you're a person who's on the move. Yeah. And it's probably not always easy being close to Powell. No, and no. Uh, and, the, and the gratefulness you expressed in that picture, uh, it, it was really touching to me. So I, I wanted to tell you that. Speaking of adventures, yeah, I'm guessing you're planning your next adventure. Is there anything within the hospitality I'm talking uh, industry I'm talking about not climbing mountains and going to uh, refugee camps and all that because you'll be doing that anyway I, I expect that from you going forward but what in the hospitality industry will you be doing next and what can you tell us about it and if you can't tell us specifics give us an idea of when you can come back on here and give us the next adventure from Pablo <laughs> uh, look I'm working so in I already gave you the out yeah, you did. You did. Thank you. I, I definitely want to invite myself back in. Um, I think this next project is, is, is a dream dream that I've had in my head and um, and I, I want to be able to pull it off. And, and I think it's going to be the new dynamic of the hospitality industry. I'm going to bring in the mountain to Mohammed. I can't really talk about it now, but it's 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 going to be something really special. And uh, I was hoping to uh, start it next summer of 2021. But just like, you know, in America where you are and, and what's happening here in the UK, there's a lot of uh, uncertainties, you know, with the vaccine. And when are we going to be able to deliver that? And when are we going to be able to open the traveling and all that? But um, I have a, a concept that you very much going to love. It. And I think the hospitality industry is going to embrace and i will invite myself because i want to talk all about it next time i'm here great that well we'll love to have you back i will tell you this since your adventure is out there a little bit I, i'm going to bring you back or if you'll join us again to talk specifically because i want to go back and talk about this this one narrow aspect and it's not so narrow but the holistic view of customer service and the customer journey in your view of it, because I think we share a lot of components to that, but you're much more articulate. Uh, and I, I'd love to see your thoughts on that whole journey of uh, beginning with awareness and taking them all through uh, through the five steps and into advocacy. And what your expression of it earlier makes me really think that uh, you'd be fabulous and, and it would be a great learning session for some of our listeners. Paolo DeTasso, I can't thank you enough for joining us on episode number 100 of Seat Yourself. It's been nothing but pleasure since we started talking here today. And I've, uh, I really know that our listeners are going to, uh, first of all, be excited to hear about the new adventure when that happens but they've learned a lot from you today oh thank you so much thanks for having me and uh you know it's uh it, it's it, it's great to uh spend this time and talking to you about it i would love to come on board again and talking about hospitality i think it's it's really important you know that journey it's um you know hospitality and service is what made i, I made my name on and i think i'm very grateful to be here today with you and uh, what a great conversation thank you and uh, have a great weekend 
Well, you've made this a very special episode for sure, in addition to being number 100. But thank you for joining us. You're welcome back here. There's an open door for you anytime you want to come back, Paolo. Thank you. Thank you. God bless. That concludes this week's episode of Tabletop Journal's Seat Yourself podcast series. For more news, information, and insights on the hospitality tabletop industry, please be sure to check out www.tabletopjournal.com.